Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum Autumn 2022 podcast series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. You can download the Freelance Forum podcast from Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast and all good podcatcher apps and on SoundCloud. This is episode number 47 on the uh, topic of the work of Transparency Ireland with uh, John Devitt. John, I'm just going to start as usual with, uh, as I usually do here, with a fairly broad question. Uh, Tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, Sure. Uh, Thanks for uh, inviting me to talk with you, Jared. I'm a, uh, well, I I trained in in public relations after after graduating from university uh, at University. University of Limerick, where I studied politics and, well, European studies to be more precise. And after graduating, I, I went on and, and studied uh, the dark arts with the Public Relations Institute for a couple of years and was hired. My first job in PR was with the British Embassy here in Dublin, um, where I was a, an assistant press officer for a year and a half. Uh, they trained me up further, and then I moved to New Zealand, uh, where I, I found work uh, in 2000 or 2001 with the Irish Consulate down there, promoting Irish trade and investment with Enterprise Ireland and the IDA. IDA. I was the, the trade promotion manager or trade representative uh, at the consulate. Uh, it was while I was there that I came across a, a an article in the New Zealand Herald in April 2002 with the title of, I can remember correctly, Ireland slammed for its record on human rights and corruption. I'd always been interested in the topic anyway. You know, as, a, as a teenager, uh, I had a subscription to Time magazine. I used to read about um, kleptocracies in West Africa and had um, a, a an interest as well in a scandal uh, closer to home too. Uh, so I read in, in the report that inspired that New Zealand Herald article that there was no chapter of Transparency International in Ireland. And that year, the Joseph Rowntree Charitable Trust, which is a, a, a Quaker charity based in England, hosted a meeting with, I think it was, it was chaired by Fintan O'Toole, uh, but with Gareth Fitzgerald and, and others, the Great and Good Virus Society, who, who discussed uh, corruption in Ireland and uh, at an event in Buswells and talked about setting up a chapter. Nothing happened while I was away in New Zealand and I offered to, to, to start something here. And uh, when I got back home, I reached out to to Gareth and others, and set about setting up the chapter. Um, I promised my then girlfriend that I would spend a year um, setting the thing up, and we'd go travelling again. And uh, yeah, she's she's now my ex. Um, where I, I I'm I'm now at this was nineteen years. Uh, I I didn't expect that I would be doing it this long. But it's um it's been an interesting journey and it's been more work certainly than than I expected it to be. Um 
it, it, not because there's more corruption than, than I expected, but because I think I expected that the the organization would take off a lot faster than it did. And that uh, I expected that, that to be more support for, 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 for work of this nature in Ireland. Um, but uh, evidently not. It's, it's taken a lot more time to to get off the ground than than I had originally anticipated, so it's um it's been rewarding and challenging in, in equal measure, but uh, it's it's um now something I'm 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 committed to uh, as a career. I I like I said I, I started out in public relations, uh, wanting to to do some good with the the skills I'd acquired. Um, but I hadn't anticipated. I hadn't expected I would, I, I would find a career in anti-corruption. Uh, it just happened by accident, as much as anything. And you mentioned there, obviously, at the start, that uh, one of the starting points was, for you was finding out that Transparency International didn't have an Irish chapter. So, obviously, they're uh, an international organisation. Could you tell me about them? Where are they based? What was the impetus for setting them up and so forth? Yeah, uh, Transparency International, or TI, uh, as is probably better known, is a, an independent, uh, non-governmental organization uh, with its secretariat or headquarters in Berlin. And it, uh, is, is a, now a network of around 100 or so chapters, um, which, are, which are supported by this, the International Secretariat. And... Um, uh, and uh, working alongside an international board of directors, which are elected by the membership and elected by by the chapters, uh, working at a national, uh, regional, and a global level. So in Ireland, we we work on issues such as lobbying regulation, whistleblower protection, uh, standards in public uh, office. I can tell you a bit more about the projects we we're we're, we're leading. Um, but in some countries, they're actively investigating and exposing corruption. Um, in others, they're 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 working more in coalition with with the private sector to create uh, standards and 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 polo standards in 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 uh, in business and in politics. Uh, and we 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 spend a lot of time lobbying. Uh, for reform, and we've been successful in lobbying for international treaties like the UN Convention Against Corruption or the OECD uh, Convention uh, on the bribery of foreign public officials in in business transactions. Uh, and we work with international agencies like uh, the United Nations, the Council of Europe, European Commission, and others to to keep uh, corruption on the political agenda. It should be borne in mind that prior to ninety seven. Uh, there were no uh, or very few restrictions on the bribery of foreign public officials uh, in, in international business. Uh, and with the passage of the, the OECD uh, convention, uh, we found governments or governments uh, thereafter placed, uh, placed uh, laws under statute books criminalizing payment of of bribes for example overseas and um, there's an awful lot of work still to be done um particularly around the flow of illicit 
uh, or the illicit flow of of, of capital uh, from um, the global south or uh, oil rich, oil and gas rich countries such as Russia or, or even Ukraine uh, to financial centres in Dublin and London and elsewhere. So that that would that work um, uh, is it will be uh, something we are. It's, it's a, it's a it, that that'll be a, 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 that area of, of work will um, be a focus for us over the the coming years. We've done some work on it already, um, and uh, like I said, that's a part of an international network where we're we're we're. we're uh, anxious to work with, with each other in, in highlighting these issues. Uh, like I said, particularly around uh, the flow of the proceeds of corruption into, into um, European um, financial centres. Um, but TI Ireland uh, would be probably better known for its work with like some Morris McCabe, who, who we supported as a client back in 2013-14. Uh, we operate a, an independent helpline, uh, which provides uh, free advice and guidance to, to people looking to make um, disclosures of wrongdoing. And we operate a, or we 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 established a, a an independent law centre which can provide free legal advice uh, to to anyone who's making a protective disclosure. Um, protected, we, we we lobbied in the first instance for. Uh, what became the Protective Disclosures Act in 2014, we advised on on the text of the bill itself, um, as well as an EU directive, which is due to, to come into effect uh, in, in January of next year. Um, and like I said, we've worked on lobbying regulation, lobbied for, for the regulation of lobbyists uh, and uh, for higher standards in public life. Um, uh, greater disclosure or more proactive disclosure of the financial interests of public officials and public representatives. Uh, and uh, most recently, we published a report uh, as part of a series of studies on the disclosure practices of uh, different types of organizations, including uh, local authorities, uh, private sector, uh, semi-state bodies, and most recently, uh, non-commercial public bodies. Uh, so uh, we, we we cover a lot of ground uh, with a uh, few resources, and um, we're we're um, always lo- looking for 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 support. It's it's not easy to come by, as I mentioned our, uh, already. We don't have a, a strong tradition of philanthropy in Ireland uh, for this type of work. Um, and um, we have been reliant in the past on funding from. Uh, overseas from uh, the Joseph Rentry Charitable Trust and then the European Commission. Um, and now our helpline is, is supported, uh, largely funded by the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform here, uh, who we, so, as I mentioned, worked alongside in, in, uh, in uh, drafting the, the Protective Disclosures Act back in 2014. Um, so, yeah, covering a lot of ground uh and um oh, doing our best with whatever resources we have that actually brings me as well something as uh, i was going to ask you you mentioned there the uh the roundtree trust and obviously a uh, department of public expenditure and the eu commission where are your main uh 
forms of funding coming from. For, and I assume that most of it is international. As you said, Ireland doesn't have a strong philanthropic tradition. Yeah, we well, our our our, ind- our national integrity index, our studies, our, our series on the disclosure practices of um, different types of organisations is uh, funded by the Community Foundation for Ireland, which is a an independent charitable trust. Um, and as I said, we our helpline uh, and, and our office was established with uh, support from the Joseph Renter Charitable Trust and the European Commission. Uh, like I mentioned, most recently, our our work around whistleblowing has been supported by by Deeper, um, the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, and we run a program called Integrity of Work, which is aimed at creating safer working environments for, for people to speak up and, and do the right thing. Um, we've run 35, 36 pu- public bodies, largely in, in a small number of charities and, and companies um, working with us in uh, improving standards for employers in, in ensuring that their their workers feel safe or safer in, in, in speaking up. And we offer training and guidance to, to employers and recipients of, of disclosures um, and feedback on their policies and procedures. As part of that program, they also sign a pledge which commits them to protect people who speak up and uh, to signpost them to available supports and to take action in response to concerns. So that generates um, a, 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 some, some income as well. Uh, but I'd say close to around 60% of, of uh, the, the bulk of the income for the helpline work we do and, and the law centre is is uh, currently from government. Uh, not an ideal situation, I must admit. I, I prefer to uh, be securing that from from a, a variety of sources. But like I said, the funding environment in Ireland isn't ideal for this for this type of work. It's a little, I think it was one, one fundraising advisor uh, back in and three or four describe the issues esoteric uh it's 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 not all that you know um sexy for want of a better word um it it it, it doesn't really i mean people i think are i think people buy into stories and personalities and more than they do abstract concepts like corruption or anti-corruption or conflicts of interest or um, transparency and public contracting, you know. Um, And unless you have a story to tell, it's very difficult to convey the importance of of any issue. Um, Given Ireland is such a difficult environment for for journalists and civil society more broadly to, to talk about issues such as you know I mean corruption in public life or uh, low standards in in public office because of our uh, draconian defamation laws uh, even those stories that have been established well established um even the findings of tribunals of inquiry uh can't be repeated without incurring um, or putting yourself at some risk. And we found that ourselves in the past um, where, where we have been um, threatened with legal action for for having 
uh, talked about the findings of, of uh, tribunals of, of inquiry, uh, it makes it very difficult uh, to talk about these issues. I mean, I, I sometimes appear on RT, RT radio. The last time I think it was in a studio in RTE, uh, producer said, John, just make sure you don't mention any names or any individual cases. You know, it's really difficult to to talk about this issue unless you have a story to illustrate the 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 the, the, the point you're trying to make. And people will respond to scandal. We 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 respond to controversy. Political system will normally act with with some reluctance, uh, admittedly, to addressing a a a controversy. If you think of you know, there's there's no political capital, there's no credit to be gained for preventing a problem. There's a lot for being seen to fix it. I think that's almost human nature. We, you know, we prefer to fix problems as they arise. Um, it makes us feel better if we can get credit for for fixing the problem. But if you prevent a problem that doesn't arise, who knows that you've prevented the problem? Um. And I think the same goes for this type of work because our, our emphasis is on preventing corruption in the first place. We're not an investigative organization. People will come to us and ask us to investigate or expose a particular case. We will work with, with um, journalists. Um, we've shared information from our helpline with them in the past with, with the consent of clients uh, and some RT investigates programs and, and stories you might have read uh, in 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 the mainstream media have been shared by us um, on behalf of our clients, but we 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 can't for client confidentiality reasons um, tell many people about this. So uh, it's a difficult, uh, something of a catch twenty two situation we find ourselves in. Um, our our goal is to prevent corruption first place, but. Uh, with, without the stories to illustrate how we've prevented it, uh, it's it's very difficult to to generate the kind of interest we'd like in in the work. You uh, started to touch on something I was going to ask you next. There, uh, obviously, my interest would be in uh, freelance journalists and opportunities for them. You said you don't do a lot of work, but you have on occasion worked with journalists. Could you, if I'm a journalist, is there? A way that I phone you up, or how does that work? Is it 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 is it? There's not an organised feed there all the time. It tends to be more, I assume, on a case by case basis. It is absolutely on a case by case basis. So in 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 many instances, we we'll advise the client that the information they're sharing doesn't amount to a irrelevant wrongdoing under the 2014 Protective Disclosures Act. Um. That they might be better to report their concern in the first place to an agency like the Garda Ombudsman or Comreg or the Environmental Protection Agency. It might not be newsworthy, and that's where some of my public relations training comes in. So I'll, I'll have a get a feel for whether the story is is um, is publishable. You know whether a journalist might be interested in it. We don't want to waste journalist time either. So each each case um, will be taken on its own merits, um, and we'll we'll normally advise people if, if they are going to be reporting um, wrongdoing that they seek legal advice in the first instance, and that's why we set up the the helpline and the law centre. 
And so our priority will be the, the well-being and welfare of the client first. We, we, we'll we refer them on to, to the managing solicitor uh, of the law centre who can provide them with legal advice. And once they got that advice, and they might seek it from outside um, as well, but once they have that advice, they can then make an informed decision themselves as to whether they want to talk to a journalist. Um, too many people have come to us having already reported a concern and having exposed themselves to, to unnecessary risks. So it's, it's it's our goal to see that they they can speak up as safely as possible um, and where where necessary, uh, their their story can be told by by uh, a journalist um, where where it's in the public interest for them to do so. So uh, it's it's really on an ad, ad hoc basis that we we, we engage with with the media uh, on on stories that come to us from from our clients. Um, and like I said, you in nine times out of ten you wouldn't know that it was us that passed on the story. Uh, to to a journalist, and and as you know, not not every story that you 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 get is going to be published. You know, uh, particularly with with defamation laws as they are, um, you need to be you need to be convinced. You need to be one hundred percent convinced that this story is going to stand up before a jury, um, uh, uh, before you before you you publish or broadcast it. Do you focus on uh, official Ireland, if I can use that phrase, uh, on the government and government bodies, or do you also uh, cover or work on, you know, issues in the private sector? Um, mainly on we we we, we our focus is on uh, public sector standards more so. Uh, there's a large compliance community in Ireland, uh, and that that tends to take care of itself more so than. Then um, at, at a compliance level, uh, I should explain it. You you have a community of of of, of lawyers and, and accountants, you know, large uh, advisory service firms that are providing this advice to their clients, um, and in larger companies generally won't need support from from an NGO such as such as ours. In any event, they they will be. They will. Um, they 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 won't. Um, or, but the point is that they the those companies are regulated by by legislation, and the legislation regulations are largely written by lawmakers, and that's where we might intervene. We won't, generally speaking, engage directly with companies, other than for, for example, the studies we've published um, on disclosure practices amongst companies. Um, whereas um, our emphasis is on, uh, whereas the public sector is is um, reliant to a much greater degree on public scrutiny to to um, move things forward, um, we find they're, they're far more responsive to external pressure than than companies will be. Uh, large part because. Uh, companies won't. Um, uh, com- companies are not um, responsible for the regulation that they're subjected to. If you understand me correctly, uh, you don't lobby a company to affect reform. You lobby a TD 
or or senior public official, and that's that's where our emphasis lies. I know you already mentioned uh, defamation law several times. What would you say would be the uh, biggest issues to uh, bring your work and transparency in Ireland? Uh, I think, for example, uh, there's often an institutional resistance to openness in the civil service, uh, a reluctance to follow the spirit, uh, or even sometimes the letter of freedom of information law, for example. Yeah, I, I, well, there are two issues there, uh, defamation law and then freedom of information uh, law and practice. Are there other issues as well that you would say are key barriers to working more effectively for you? Um, I, like I said, I think go back to the point I made earlier about the the uh, lack of of interest in reform in in prevention, uh, which makes it difficult to build up political momentum or or. Uh, political will for reform. So um, I, I cite the case of the Public Sector Standards Bill. Um, this is this piece of legislation that was presented by Brendan Howland in 2015. It was promised as part as part of a package of reforms in 2011 uh, by, by the then Fine Gael Labour Coalition. And uh, it was to give effect to recommendations from the Mahan Tribunal, um, most notably to ensure that uh, politicians and uh, senior public officials uh, share more f- information about their financial interests uh, and, and to to uh, fix the standards of Public Office Commission, which is, I think, by its own admission, rather toothless when it comes to to, to many measures set out in 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 in, in ethics law, and like I said, it was it was published in twenty fifteen, presented before the finance committee in twenty seventeen, uh, chaired by John McGuinness, and there it sat for three years before it lapsed, and it meant that our ethics laws are now over 20 years old and haven't been reformed since then. And in spite of scandals surrounding Robert Troy's um, failure to disclose all his financial interests, his property interests, uh, and his resignation, there has been very little noise made, even by the opposition, around the need for, very few calls for the need for for reform of their ethics laws. Uh, In spite of any calls by the Standards of Public Office Commission to affect, to, to introduce these reforms. Um, politicians have, have been very slow to to, to um, respond. And the phrase Turkeys uh, don't vote for Christmas comes to mind. They're, they're, much, they're, they're quite reluctant to subject themselves to closer scrutiny by, by a state watchdog. And... Um, but it does illustrate the problem we have in in highlighting the importance of prevention rather than cure. Um, the and to come back to the, the question about defamation law, I, I think um, there's also reluctance to change to move away from the status quo. I mean, this, the current system suits a lot of powerful individuals uh, and and sectors. Uh, and 
fortunately you have to have the means that i mean you have to have pretty deep pockets if you're going to take an action a high a high court action for defamation um and it serves to silence people journalists or civil society um who are very nervous about um incurring huge legal costs and potential damages for for um for publishing or broadcasting anything um so it, it does ha- or has had a chilling effect not just in civil society but but uh, on, on media more broadly um i remember sitting at one of the other problems but in, in addition to the costs associated with defamation accidents is 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 the jury uh trial system where you're you're effectively tried tried like a criminal uh before 12 jurors and i remember sitting in a in the courtroom when Dennis O'Brien was testifying uh in his action against the Daily Mail the Irish Daily Mail I can't remember how long it was but almost 10 years ago now and I remember looking across at the jury and I said I'm more afraid of them than I would be of him it's a it's a lottery you have no idea how they irrespective of the quality of the evidence before them you've no idea how they're, they're, they're how, how it's going to turn out uh, so you really are taking your chances in the high court when you're when you're defending an action, irrespective of how strong you think your case is. Uh, so I think the uncertainty surrounding um, uh, the outcome of of these cases will also have a chilling effect on on journalists or civil society, uh, and that's that's no good thing. Um, that that isn't helped by a culture of maybe secrecy is too strong a word but um reticence or reluctance to share information or put it into the public domain um and we we've, we've been calling for a more proactive disclosure of information um uh, as a way of complementing uh the the, ref, the current foi regime um which which requires people to to ask to apply for information from public bodies um, I I, th- I think our that that culture goes back a long time, um, and there there is a I think a culture of control as well in 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 the Irish civil and public service. Uh, it's hard to control information, uh, and that, again, it, human nature being as it is, I think that's kind of understandable. People want an easy life, and uh, when there's more public information in the public domain, um, more people are free and able to ask questions of of their their public officials, um, and that, as they say, it can make more work for them. Um, so it needs to be needs to be better resourced. The FOI regime, in addition to any reforms that might be be affected uh, or might 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 be implemented to 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 the FOI Act, um, in it. It, it needs to be adequately resourced. And I think we need to, as I mentioned, um, encourage more proactive disclosure um, through the use of technologies to, to share information uh, uh, and, and, and to keep it in the public domain because what often happens is that the journalists will will apply, will put in an FOI request and sit on the information. And that, that that's understandable if they're, you know, they're, they have a story 
uh, that they're going to, to publish. They don't want to they don't want to share that information with with someone else um, after they've done all that the hard work in in accessing that that information. Uh, but once it has been shared and that public that story is published, um, that 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 information should be freely available and and easily searchable, uh, so that other people can can access it easily and and understand how you know how how a particular policy was made or uh, uh, or whether it's, it was that the policy or decision a public contract uh, was awarded justifiably or uh, whether the policy was 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 um, made um, uh, for the right reasons from your experience and various things you've been working for uh, would you say there are any particular areas or departments that are worth pursuing as journalists looking for stories on those things through through freedom of information or other means um, the usual suspects justice health you won't, you won't go too far wrong if you're a journalist looking for information you know they, they, they're both I mean the health service being as it is it's, it's always going to throw up I'm, it's, it's always going to confront issues I mean Ireland isn't unique in that regard um, it's it's it has huge budgets. I think around four billion a year, not more. I, think, I mean, that's a, represents I think a quarter of the overall um, uh, public spending budget or, or public procurement budget. Um, so it's also it's always going to throw up issues. Um, the, the Irish prison service is never out of the news. Neither are the guards. Uh, so. You know, the, the, these these are big public departments that are responsible for critical public services, and there are always going to be issues there. Um, which is why I, I I'd like to think the culture within those organisations will will change, uh, such that they're much more proactive about confronting the problems they they have and putting information into the public domain. Um, I can't remember who it was who worked with Bill Clinton um, one time as a press officer, but he, he made the point, or he, he might have been his chief of staff, um, but he made the point of uh, at each morning briefing with the uh, White House um, press corps, he would um, throw folders of information on the desk and say, knock yourselves out. And the the goal there was to make sure that there wasn't anything uh, that they couldn't be accused of of um, of hiding anything, uh, and that information that was hidden or covered up was was that much more newsworthy. And uh, so I have to say that the cover up is often worse than the crime. And I'm not sure how how apocryphal that that story is, but I think the point is that the more information that's public put into the public domain, the less likely. It is that uh, public bodies will be accused of of covering up uh, waste or malpractice, uh, and 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 the less likely it is that um, we'll encounter waste or mal- malpractice in the first place. And um, accessing information transparency in public office is a is one of the most effective ways of 
of, of preventing wrongdoing in the first place. Um, and it and it helps people. It helps the public hold their 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 political leadership to account. Uh, have some make informed decisions when they go to the ballot box. Um, so it's it's um, often I often describe it as as part of a virtuous circle. Um, but it's not it, like I said. It's not uh, something that too many um, of our political leaders understand that they prefer to fix problems and uh, rather than rather than prevent them okay that sounds like a good uh spot at which to conclude matters so thanks very much for talking to me no problem jared all right thank you john david for talking to me and to everyone listening stay safe and take care this has been the freelance forum podcast with jared cunningham the forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sectoral Learning and Development Programme. Music from podsummit.com is released under a Creative Commons Zero license into the public domain. I'm Jared Cunningham. Thank you for listening. Take care and stay safe. <laughs>